0: Uh, we are going to be today in Daniel chapter 2. Uh, and this is a fascinating chapter in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is just fascinating period, right? Uh, read through it and it is it is neat. In fact, if you if you read the book of Revelation without reading the book of Daniel first, you're missing so much. I mean, there's so much good stuff in the book of Daniel, particularly with regard to prophecy. And we're starting a section that's going to get into some prophecy. So we're going to talk about that today. But I do kind of want to contextualize this a little bit. So last week, we looked at the success of Daniel and his three friends, remember who were renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, we, we looked at them finishing their course of training. Now, it was said that they did a three year course of training in their teens. So, right when they were about Luke's age, you know, right around 15, 16 maybe as early as 14, they did a three-year process of discipleship essentially so that by the time they're 17, 18 years old, they could be integrated into Babylonian court society as counselors to the king. So last week, we kind of looked at that and how they became counselors to the king of Babylon, how they graduated with, with um, flying colors, and they uh, were were found to be more uh, capable in terms of wisdom and understanding and knowledge than any of 10 times more so than any of the other uh, wizards and counselors and conjurers and all these wise men that were sort of surrounding the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And just to kind of recap for y'all, Daniel and his three friends would have been taken captive in the first uh, uh, captivity of Jews from Judah, which would have happened in 605 B.C., And that is right around the time that uh, Nebuchadnezzar took his father's throne. So his father was the big emperor, and then he had a military victory, and then he took over the throne. In fact, right after he had taken into captivity these four young Jewish teenagers. Okay, That was in 605 BC. Now, three years can mean parts of three different years. So it could be two years. It could be three years. There's some date stuff. I'm not going to get into all that. If you ever have questions, like if you're ever reading a commentary on like the book of Daniel and go, well, why does it say this year and that year? Isn't that a contradiction in the text? Just come and let's talk about it. I can't cover all those things up here on Sunday, but I do nerd out on those things. So if you want to talk about that, we can. But anyway, basically the same year uh, that that he takes captive these, these teenagers, he ascends to the throne and he becomes the emperor, the king of the largest empire in the whole world at that during that day in those ancient times. So today's passage tells us how, how this young leader, this up-and-coming leader, Nebuchadnezzar, how he dealt with the anxieties of leadership. And just to give you some context on this, two of the next three kings after Nebuchadnezzar were assassinated to be replaced. So this is not an easy life, okay? So how he deals with the anxieties related to leadership and how his search for wisdom opens up a door for Daniel to serve the Lord God by serving King Nebuchadnezzar, okay? So Daniel served with supernatural knowledge and wisdom, which the king desired above all else. The king could have anything what he wanted, but when he was troubled, what he wanted more than anything was supernatural revelation, a direct word from God. He thought the gods. We're going to talk about that. So Daniel's ministry revealed God's omnipotence. That means that he's all-powerful. It revealed God's omniscience. That means he's all-knowing, all-wise. And it revealed his power and wisdom in sovereignly ruling the universe. God's sovereignty over the entire universe, and certainly over the nations and over the nation of Israel, is a major, major, major theme in the book of Daniel. We cannot dismiss God's sovereign rule over the universe, and this is going to be emphasized in today's passage. So uh, I'll start out by saying that on a recent road trip, I was not on this road trip, but my wife was coming back from Mississippi with her nanny and her dad, and they were on Spotify. And uh, I I know this because we only have one Spotify account. We're we're too cheap to pay for two users. And so when she gets on Spotify, it knocks me off Spotify. So I know exactly what she's listening to all the time. It's great. It's great. Um, and I was, I was a gentleman and I allowed her to, to, to listen on this long road trip back from Mississippi. We'll come to find out that she found a channel of old time radio programs. Okay. Now, Miss Laverne and Mr. Marshall might be the only people today here because so many of us are such young whippersnappers that remember radio, right? Right. Yeah. Believe it or not, kids. Before there were TV screens, massive, curving, ultra high definition TV screens, there was a little brown box with some fuzzy noise coming out of it that that families used to gather around to listen to old timey radio programs, westerns and crime detective mysteries and everything else, right? Well, one of Stacy and her dad's favorite old-timey radio shows that was on this channel is called The Shadow. Does anybody know anything about The Shadow? You, please, Mr. Marshall, you know The Shadow, right? So The Shadow, and hopefully you weren't unfortunate enough to watch Alec Baldwin play the title role in the 1994 show movie, The Shadow. That was, please, just forget you ever saw that. And, and just, this was a really cool thing back in the day. Um, But the tagline for the show is is a cultural icon in our country. And the the, the tagline is this. It says every episode, who knows what lurks in the hearts of man? The shadow knows, you know, and that was it. Oh, we even have the thing. The shadow knows, right? It's like the shadow knows all. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what's lurking. I love that word lurking in the hearts of men. And that tagline, whenever I hear it, it always makes me think of God. Uh, it's just one of those things that cues my mind to think about God. And ultimately, it's the Lord God and the Lord God alone who knows all things. He is the only being in the universe who really does know all things and really does know what's lurking in the hearts of men and women and children and everybody else. He knows the past and the future. He knows what's going on in, in the present, in the world around us. He even knows what's going on inside of us. Even when we don't understand what's going on inside of us, okay? God knows. And sadly, instead of going to our sovereign God with questions and concerns, with our own feelings of ignorance or frustration or uncertainty, instead of turning to him, our initial inclination, because we we have that fallen sin nature Our initial inclination is to look around elsewhere besides to God for those answers and for that knowledge and for that understanding. And doing that only prolongs our anxieties and fears. Hear me on that. This is what we wrestle with, people. If we turn anywhere else but to God and his word to unravel the mysteries of our own hearts and the world around us and the universe, then we will only prolong our anxieties and our fears and it will keep us in the dark outside the light of the knowledge of God. He wants to shed that light upon us, upon our hearts, upon our minds. And all we have to do is turn towards him, turn towards the light. So today's big idea is that the Lord knows all. So we should all be turning to him for wisdom and understanding. He knows all why wouldn't we turn to him for wisdom and understanding? In our passage today, the story of King Nebuchadnezzar reminds all of us that we all need divine wisdom. We all need a word from God. And it teaches us that that wisdom is available to us if we'll just through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, turn to God for wisdom and understanding. So, That's going to kind of divide up our time. So first of all, we need divine wisdom. And later we'll look at the fact that we already have divine wisdom. But let's look at our need for divine wisdom and how that shows up in our passage. So we all need a direct, and hear me on this, an undiluted, unalloyed word from God. Now, Satan spoke scripture. He just put it in the wrong context and misinterpreted it so he could misapply it when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Okay, what we need is not just God's word mixed in with a bunch of other alloys and impurities. We need the pure, undefiled, undiluted word of God. And we're reminded of that in the first 13 verses of our passage today. So in verses one through nine, King Nebuchadnezzar requests divine wisdom. We should request divine wisdom. This is a good thing that he does. So let's read those first nine verses. I'm going to give you a little bit of commentary as we go through. Okay. So in Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, or 1 through 9, excuse me, it says, Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, so early on in his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the soothsayer priests, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. And those are, uh, along with the word that gets interpreted as wise men, those are five different, seemingly five different categories of the people that surrounded the the king of Babylon. So these are people who were like scribes who would write in cuneiform on clay tablets. They would uh, keep these elaborate dream journals because dreams and visions were a huge thing in Mesopotamia in that day in the Babylonian Persian empires. Uh, They were people who would use necromancy, summoning the dead, spirits of the dead to find wisdom and information. Uh, Supposedly, they could speak to the gods. They were the priests. They were the the wizards. They were the, 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 the wise men collectively. And the Chaldeans were sort of like the astrologers, these master astrologers that would read all of the signs in the heavens, the moon, the sun, the stars, the constellations. And so they're kind of the leaders here, all right? So... It said he summoned them all to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream. I always I always hear Martin Luther King Jr. when I say that. I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand that dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke up. Remember, they're probably the leaders of this motley crew. And they spoke to the king, and it says in Aramaic, and I just want a side note here. This point, halfway through verse four, everything before it's written in Hebrew, and then from this point, all the way through the end of chapter seven, it's written in Royal Aramaic. This is the kind of the lingua franca of the day back then. So this is this is now uh, linguistically being directed to the Aramaic speaking world, to the nations, okay? And it makes sense because all these different visions we're going to see in this context in Aramaic. Are visions of worldly empires and and worldly kings and kingdoms, okay? And then he switches back to Hebrew for the latter part of the book of Daniel. So there's some cool linguistic things going on here, but it says they spoke to the king in Aramaic and this is why they said, oh, king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldean and this is typically how it worked. You tell me your dream. This is like Jungian psychology or Freudian psychology or something. It's like, tell me your dream and I'll work out the archetypes and everything and tell you what's going on in you internally or in the world, whatever. Okay. So the King replies to them, the command for me is firm. He says, if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb. They literally would hack off their arms and legs and head, or they would pull them apart. Kind of gruesome, right? no-nonsense guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, okay? So he says, if you don't tell me, not just the interpretation, but the dream also, then I'm going to tear you apart limb from limb and your houses will be turned into a rubbish heap or literally like a dung heap. And there were accounts in ancient history where they would level a home of somebody who offended the king or a temple and turn it into a public urinal. So this guy's not messing around, all right? But, he says, if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. And he drops the mic. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare its interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you're trying to buy time because you have perceived that the command for me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream so that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. So the king starts off with the right inclination, okay? He wants divine wisdom, but he doesn't have a clear understanding of what divinity itself is. So he wants a word from the heavens. He just doesn't know the God of the heavens. And so he's got all these false gods, these pagan idols, this pantheon of false gods of the Babylonians that he's worshiping and that these people are supposedly talking to. And so he calls together all his priests and all his wizards, and they're supposed to be able to converse with the spirits of the dead and the gods up on high and all these things to understand all this divine uh, wisdom and knowledge, but they ultimately prove unable to do so. And that's, he puts them on the horns of a dilemma. He says, okay, in order for me to know, because they would think that the gods would have sent the dream to him. That's the whole thing about dreams. He's like, okay, if I I know, the only way I'm going to know that the gods, that you are speaking to the gods about its interpretation is if you also find out from the gods what they sent to me in terms of the dream itself. And so they're stuck, okay? And and so in order to receive divine wisdom, we need to know from whom to request it. Again, he went to the wrong people that were barking up the wrong trees. And as he learned, there are always going to be false teachers and false prophets around us to offer their services. Guys, hear me preach on this. If you are confused, if you are lacking understanding, wisdom, knowledge, we live in the information age. There are plenty of false teachers, false friends, false prophets, false wise men and women who will fill us full of whatever we want to hear or just misdirect us, you know, diabolically. Okay, so there's no shortage of that Satan himself would love to hook you up with some knowledge and understanding. All right. Okay, but in verse 10 through 13, the king rejects this human wisdom, and he rejects it pretty severely. Let's look at that. He's not real happy with these so-called wise men who prove to be utterly unreliable. Look at verse 10. It says, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is no person on earth who could declare the matter to the king because no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any soothsayer, priest, sorcerer, or Chaldean." In other words, king, you're being unreasonable. Now, I know you've only been on the throne for two years. Man, your dad would have understood this, right? He would have understood that this is not how kings operate, okay? We've got our thing. We do our thing. You're messing up the thing, okay? So they're sort of saying, nobody can do this, what you're asking. And they say, moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. And there is no one else who would declare it to the king except gods. Listen to what they say here whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh, is not with man. So because of this, remember, they're supposed to be the ones meeting with, talking to, hearing from the gods. And they're like, I mean, unless a god comes down and tells you, and he's like, yeah, that's your job. So tell me the dream, right? So it says, because of this, the king became angry and extremely furious. This is super emphatic in in the original language. And he gave orders to kill all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued that the wise men be killed, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. So the, Chal- the Chaldeans again took the lead in explaining to the king that he was asking them to do what was impossible. And they were exactly right. No human being is able to do what the king was asking. That's the point of the king asking it, okay? But they were wrong in their assumption that gods exist in the heavens, gods exist in the heavens and do not dwell among men. They're wrong on two points there because that's exactly what the one true God does. That's exactly what the creator of the universe does. He is a relational being who doesn't just stay up there like the God of deism and wind up the big grandfather clock of the universe and move on without any cares or concerns about his creatures. He's a God who created us in love and grace for relationship. Okay, so they're wrong, both in the plurality of gods that they worship, because there's only one true God, and they're wrong in the sense that they think he just stays up there uh, aloof from his creation. And we certainly know that God does not do that. He dwells with his people. That's the whole point of the Garden of Eden. That's the whole point of the tabernacle in the wilderness and later the temple with the Holy of Holies and the sacrificial system and the priesthood. That's the whole point ultimately of God the Son coming down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ in the incarnation to live a perfect life to die on a cruel Roman cross for our sins so that we could have forgiveness and a reconciled relationship with God, and then to resurrect, conquering death, sin, and Satan, ascending into heaven as our great high priest at the right hand of God the Father who ministers on our behalf and intercedes for us for the rest of eternity. That's the God we worship, and that's the God that they were missing. And of course, he is the ultimate example. And we now know that Daniel didn't have the privilege of knowing who it was that would fulfill all the prophecies that God had given him. But we do have that privilege of knowing Jesus Christ who dwells, he tabernacles among us. I love it. So to sum up this first part of the passage, all humans throughout history have needed divine wisdom. And there is only one source for that, that wisdom. And that is the one true God. And uh, I will say this, as a pastor, I was thinking of ways to illustrate this, as a pastor, my calling, aspects of it at least, is to help people have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. If anybody's in this room, my goal in life, my absolute passion, my calling is to, I can't convince you to believe in Jesus, but I can certainly answer any questions you have, show you scripture and how it points forward to Christ in the Old Testament and how the resurrection historically happened in fulfillment of all those promises God made. I, I can I can share the gospel with you and why that makes sense and why it gives us value and meaning and purpose and, and truth and all the other things we're constantly searching for and never finding anywhere else but in Christ. Like that's my passion, but but I'm also called not just to help people come to faith in Christ, but to have a deepening understanding and appreciation of the wisdom of God's word. That is my absolute passion for those of you who have trusted in Jesus. I don't care if you're four years old and you're under the ministry of Ashley and kids ministry. I don't care if you're 14 years old and you're working with Shelby. I don't care if you're 94 years old. There's still room to grow in your understanding. Amen. Amen. Right. And so that's my passion. And one of the biggest obstacles I face as a pastor in the 21st century American context that I serve in is that people, I'll put it this way, the ease by which people can pursue knowledge and understanding and so-called wisdom from a million different sources, which are ultimately and so often completely insufficient and devoid of truth. Do you know how hard that is? Back in the day when nobody had even seen a book before, and the pastor in the village had a Bible, you know, and maybe it was written in Latin, but at least he could tell them what it said, right? But now, I mean, on our watches and phones, we can go plumb the depths of billions of hours of YouTube videos, okay? That makes it difficult. I was talking to Sherwin about this because he's a doctor, and I was like, you're an endocrinologist. You went to a lot of school, right? you know a little bit about endocrinology. He's like, yeah. I was like, how often do people just come into your clinic and they've been on WebMD for like 30 minutes and they're completely diagnosed and they're like, listen, this is what I got. Could you just sign this prescription and I'll get out of here? I know you're busy today. And he's like, you know what? Maybe you should stick around and we should just maybe, I don't know, run some tests and I could look at them and we could, right? But that's the, that's the, the day and age we live in is the day and age of personal autonomy and personal access to a seemingly infinite source of so-called knowledge, so-called wisdom, so-called understanding. And that does make it tough, especially for a pastor. So instead of coming to me as a Bible teacher, as a spiritual mentor, and guys, this is not me tooting my own horn. There is a, there is, I probably know less about the Bible than I could know, if that makes sense. I am still growing. I am still learning, okay? There's all sorts of stuff that baffles me but I can come alongside you and I can help you as we both grow together in our understanding of these things. I can ask some good questions. I can point out some flaws and maybe the logic that you're looking at online. Maybe. I don't know. There are things that I don't understand. And I hopefully I'll be humble enough to be honest about that. But guys, there's good truth there. And I want to come along alongside you instead of just going to Siri and asking Alexa and hopping onto Google or YouTube or Wikipedia or even chat GPT now, and hopefully you get out of there without being told to drink bleach or something, right? Um, This is the world we live in, and the problem with all these sources is that they are not the pure, undefiled word of God. They're not opening up the scriptures, which we have great translations in English, if that's your primary language, and they're wonderful, and I stand behind them, a bunch of them wholeheartedly, Okay. We can open up the pure, undefiled Word of God and get it right from the source, straight from the horse's mouth. And so, these other things have opportunities—I'll put it that way—to mix in alloys and impurities, and uh, recontextualize things, and 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 provide things to you with misinterpretive uh, with misinterpretations. And so instead of being a direct revelation from God, like scripture is these, these sources basically feed off massive sources of human wisdom because that's what ChatGPT, GPT. That's what open AI has been doing all these years, large language. What's it? the word LLM? Somebody knows it. we were just talking about it at lunch, Eric, large language model, right? So it takes billions and billions of models or examples of how language is used. And then it figures out statistically what should come next, right? And so it's, it's, it's flawed in that all it's doing is taking all of this information that we're putting in, we're making the inputs as a civilization, and then it's spitting stuff out. It just does it with really good grammar and syntax, you know, and fools you into thinking it's real sometimes. So as a pastor, I want people drinking from the pure water that is bubbling forth from the spring on that cold mountainside, I mean, you get that picture of like, it's just gurgling up and you can just cup your hands and drink it, right? I want them, I want you and your kids drinking out of that spring of God's undiluted, pure word, rather than going downstream of the factory town and sticking a straw in the river down there with the open sewage pipes upstream, okay? And that's what can happen sometimes. And that's why we have to be on guard against that. King Nebuchadnezzar felt the same way. He was troubled by his dream and he believed that only divine wisdom would do. So he rejected the human wisdom of his so-called wise men which would have amounted to mere opinion and speculation. And folks, we all need divine wisdom and we all need to know where to go to get it. So let's let's apply this personally because we got to bring this home to roost, okay? Where are you? Where am I? Where are we seeking wisdom in the world out there somewhere or even in here instead of turning to God in prayer and prioritizing the reading of his word, the digestion of his pure undefiled word in our search for knowledge and wisdom and understanding? Maybe it's what to do with the relationship. Should I stay or should I go? Should I forgive and seek reconciliation or should I harden my heart? Maybe it's confusion about who we are and what we're supposed to be about in this life. And that is internal to us. And I guarantee worldly people and false teachers and so-called friends will line up to tell us all sorts of things about ourselves that have no bearing on reality and who we are in God's eyes. We all need wisdom and understanding in order to live this life as we ought to. So instead of turning to the world around us or turning inward to the feelings inside of us, let's turn to the God of heaven above who loves us and dwells among us and offers us true wisdom and true knowledge. And guys, that leads us to the main point of the last part of today's passage. We have divine wisdom we have it already. It's available to us if we would only turn to God in humility and seek him. In verses 14 to 23, we see Daniel requesting, receiving, and rejoicing in divine wisdom from God. In verses 14 to 18, he requests the divine wisdom. It says, then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard. Those are the king's executioners the captain of the king's executioners who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He said to Ariok, the king's officer, for what reason is the decree from the king so harsh? And then Ariok informed Daniel of the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him a grace period so that he might declare the interpretation to the king. And then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven. That's the God over the heavens. All these starry constellations that the Babylonians are worshiping. So that they may request from the God above and over the heavens. Concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his friends would not be killed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, I love Daniel's faith in God because he immediately goes to the king and he he doesn't kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Should I go talk to the king? He immediately goes to the king and he confidently declares that he would straight away return with what the king wanted. And then he goes straight to his faithful roommates, these three guys, these three teenage believers he's living with in this roommate situation, which I love, by the way. I wish I saw more of that. Um, But he goes to them and he asks them to join him in prayer and supplication before the Lord. And so they do. And they pray all night. And Daniel knows that only God could provide the supernatural knowledge and wisdom required by the king. Guys, he knows he's up against a dead end. He knows he can't do this in his own wisdom and power. Okay. And so in verse 19, we see Daniel receiving that divine wisdom. And I love just how short and sweet this is. Look at how sweet and short this is. Verse 19, it's not even a whole verse. It says, then After they got together and prayed and asked God for compassion to reveal the secret to him, it says, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. (laughs) God's like, okay, you know, I want to accomplish my plans and purposes through y'all. And without this, you're going to be killed. So I'm going to provide what you need to accomplish these plans and purposes to which I've called you here. And he gives them a night vision. By the way, the difference between a dream and a vision is apparently a dream happens when you're asleep. A vision happens when you're awake. So a night vision is them staying up through the night praying and him receiving a vision while he's still awake, okay? Uh, And here we don't even get a description of the dream and its interpretation. We're like, oh, tell us the dream. Because notice they haven't said any details about the dream yet. Because that's not the point yet, right? The point is that God's servant needed divine wisdom and supernatural knowledge, so the Lord provided it. And in the rest of verses 19 through 23, Daniel rejoices in the Lord for giving him such wisdom and understanding. And this last section has been called Daniel's psalm. It is a fantastic little short psalm written by the prophet Daniel. And it's, it's really the jewel of today's passage. Let me read it to you. There's all sorts of poetic balance and structural elements and beauty. But let me just read it to you and, and you just let it saturate you. It says, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, may the name of God be blessed forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the periods, the times and the seasons. He removes kings and appoints kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to people of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, and and notice he goes from third person to now it's first and second. He says, to you, God of my fathers, this personal. Yes, he's the God of, of heaven, but he's the God of my fathers. I give thanks and praise to you. For you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. And there is so much packed into that short little psalm of praise. But guys, listen to me. The emphasis is on God as the sovereign source of all power and wisdom throughout the universe. And Daniel is rejoicing in the fact that God gives his wisdom and power to people who turn to him in times of need. Now, am I saying every time you have some weirdo dream and you write it down, God's going to like tell you some cryptic message about the end of the world or something? No. Okay. But in this context, an ancient Babylonian uh, court context, where the dream interpretation was so big, he did provide what his servants needed to do what he had called them to do so the point here is that divine wisdom is available to all of us if we would only in great humility turn to the lord and just the other day i found out about um a uh heartbreaking situation um in our church and I immediately felt completely unequipped, ill-equipped, unequipped uh, to, to step into it and to step in the lives of these people that were affected. Um, I felt like I lacked knowledge. I felt like I lacked wisdom, understanding, patience, compassion to come alongside the folks that were involved and to address the situation for their good and for the good of our church and for God's glory. Um, so my first inclination, praise God, was to just ask the other four elders just to pray with me. You know, it's, it, sometimes you get to that place in life where God in his grace allows you to be so overwhelmed that you don't even want to think about going anywhere else but to God on your knees. And guys, that's a grace. That's a blessing. And so all I knew to do was to ask the four other elders of our church to just join me in prayer and just to pray that God would give me words and wisdom and compassion to come alongside these people who I love and who he loves in the midst of this and and to give me understanding so that I could continue to provide good God-honoring pastoral care and counsel and leadership. And I've also been reminded that God's word is no stranger to difficult pastoral situations. Did you know that? Did you know? Did you know sin has been a part of it since since not the beginning, but since the fall? Sinful natures and sin and Satan's schemes and things have been affecting us all throughout human history. So listen, scripture, God, the author of scripture, is no stranger to difficult pastoral situations. Paul writes Peter writes about it, Paul writes about it, Jude writes about it, everybody writes about it, okay? So I'm seeking to better understand the divine wisdom and counsel that God has already provided me in his holy scriptures. I am, and I know that God's spirit is going to work through my time in his word and through our time in his word together and also through my time with others who are filled up in their hearts and minds with God's truth and God's wisdom. He's going to work through that. And by his spirit, he's going to provide me with the wisdom and the understanding that I need to care for his people. And guys, he'll do the same for you, whether you're vocationally a pastor or not, he will do the same for you, I promise, if we would just turn to him in humility with faith. God's divine wisdom is available to all of us, and if we will only turn to him and ask, we will receive it like Daniel did. In order to apply this, I want to revisit what Daniel wrote in this psalm of praise at the end of our passage, and I'll just reread this short section. Daniel writes, May the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the periods, It is he who removes kings and appoints kings. It is he who gives wisdom to wise men, that is wise men that seek him, and knowledge to people of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things that he deems appropriate to reveal, I should say. And he knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. In other words, the Lord God is sovereign Over every changing thing in this world, in your life, in your circumstances, in the times and seasons that you're facing and that we're facing, he's sovereign over every changing thing. He's sovereign over every unknown thing, every question, every seemingly darkened place in our lives where we we can't seemingly pierce the veil of understanding. He's sovereign over those things. And so I I have to ask us a question this morning. Is there anything that causes more anxiety and fear in this life on this earth than change and facing the unknown? Sharks? No, that's the unknown, right? You can't see down there in that deep water. My point is this. Guys, every conversation we've had throughout the years... So often our fears and anxieties boil down to change that we're just not comfortable with, we're just not willing to move forward with and embrace even the really hard stuff. I don't mean embrace it like, this is awesome. I mean like persevere, knowing that God is sovereign over the change. And also the unknown, what's gonna happen? What if I do that? What if I do that? What if I don't do that? What if this? What if they do that? What if this? And we go down that mental gymnastics endeavor of trying to figure out trying to map out the unknown instead of trusting that God is sovereign over the unknown. So let's cherish these verses in our passage today. And in the midst of changing circumstances, Daniel faced an unknown future. You talk about change and unknown. Look at Daniel's life in this context. So as he's facing all these swirling, changing circumstances around him and this unknown future and what's going to happen and everything else, instead of looking out there at the wind and the waves and and fearing and falling into the churning night waters like Peter did, instead, he didn't have Jesus to look at, but he looked up to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He looked up to the one true God in heaven above the heavens to seek wisdom and understanding. He looked up to the God of heaven who is sovereign over all, who knows all, who sees all, who is unchanging throughout all the changes, He is our hope. He is our anchor in this life, as the writer of Hebrews pointed out. He is our anchor. So just like Daniel, let's invite others to join us in prayer and supplication and to listen to the word of the Lord so that we too can be fully equipped to serve him as well. Whether that's interpreting dreams for a Babylonian emperor or whether that's working, digging ditches, I I don't know. But wherever God places us, we can be his servants and be fully equipped to be his servants if we will turn to him as our anchor and as our source. So who knows what lurks in the hearts of man? The Lord knows what lurks in the hearts of man, okay? And he also cares for each and every one of us. If you are sitting here today, hear this. God loves you, he created you, and he created you for the purpose of enjoying Him for the rest of eternity, having a relationship with Him that we can have through believing in His Son, Jesus Christ, and being forgiven of our sins and being made holy and righteous through the blood of Christ. He made you for that. And He loves you and He cares for you. And He wants us all to possess divine wisdom and understanding. And that's why He redeemed us through the work of Christ. It's why He sends His Holy Spirit to teach us and to lead us And to guide us with wisdom and power. So when we're confused or anxious or uncertain. And we will be. And some of you are right now. We don't need wizards. Or conjurers. Or Wikipedia. Or chat GPT. We need the Lord. We need the light of his truth. To shine into all the dark places in our own hearts. And in our minds. And in this world around us. And I'll just close with the memorable words of David in Psalm 139. Do you remember what David said in 139? We think of like him knitting together David in in his mother's womb. But what does he say when David's like, I can't go this way. I can't go that way. I can't go up. I can't go down. As David's saying, I can't go anywhere where you're not where I am, Lord. He says, even the darkness is as day to you. And so mental health stuff that I've wrestled with in my life and that some of you, have met, and when everything seems dark and cloudy and confusing and foggy, he, he penetrates the fog, he penetrates the darkness. And listen to, what, listen to how David ends that psalm in verses 23 and 24. He says to God, this God who he knows, he says, search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. He's not searching for his own benefit. He knows. He's searching it up and showing us what's there so that we will turn to him in faith, turn to Christ in faith. So next week, I am excited to say that Chris LaPointe is going to be up in the pulpit, and he is going to... untangle the, the mysteries and the secrets of this dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And he's basically going to walk us through this, this dream, it's interpretation that God provides through his servant, Daniel, and it's going to be great. So I'm looking forward to Chris doing that.